0: Rocket Man should have been handled a long time ago. Mr. President, what did you mean by calm before the storm yesterday?
1: What did you mean by that? With a wink and a pause.
0: You'll find out.
1: Was he referring to military action when he said calm before the storm? We're never going to say in advance what the president's going to do. How am I doing? Am I doing?
0: Okay, I'm president. Hey, I'm president.
1: Can you believe it? Welcome to Politics, a podcast project that became so overwhelmed with the Trump presidency we took a few months off, but now we're back. My name is Tim Batt, and I'm talking from Auckland, New Zealand.
0: Uh, my name is Jeb Lund. I am speaking from Tampa, Florida.
1: Jeb, it's so good to talk to you. I've missed it's, you, buddy.
0: I missed you too, man. We didn't, and like, people don't know this, but we did not keep up while you, I mean, we, we exchanged, like, text information, but we were not on the phone going like, yeah, you know, all those rubes are missing out, but we're having this really great private conversation. They can't be a part of. We just we we were not doing that.
1: So sadly, that is that is correct. Basically, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff happening for Jeb, and natural disasters. There was a lot happening for me. I uh, I just finished doing a TV show for the first time. I was writing and hosting a like a live broadcast chat show for fifteen weeks. So I was like, you know what? I probably can't do everything still with this TV show going on. So unfortunately, politics was the thing that got the ass. But it's done now. The season is over. So I'm back, baby.
0: Are they picking you up? Or are you coming back?
1: No idea. Um, not fantastic communication out of the network, but that's a, a story for another day. Um, hey, look, let's right at the top here, just outline what we intend to talk about, which may well fall by the wayside <laughs> as we get to chatting. But um, what we intended to talk about today is uh, the wider issue of gun control in the context of what's just happened in Las Vegas, uh, the current state of play with the Russia investigation, failed uh, health care reform and the the proposed tax reform that's going through at the moment. And uh, I thought I'd update you guys on what's happening in New Zealand politics as well, just for a bit of a laugh, because it doesn't really affect <laughs> anything. But it's just kind of a funny situation because we're in election year and we've just had our general election. Yeah, no, I'm excited to
0: to find out. I mean, if if for nothing more than when I find out that other countries are fucking up, I'm like, I'm not alone. I'm less alone.
1: (laughs) I could. Well, should I try and condense it, and we could kick off with that, just as a bit of fun, frivolous, um, bit of trivia that won't affect anyone, but is an interesting take on what's happening in my country. Oh, please do. Yeah, that'd be great. So we just had an election. And uh, it was a, actually a pretty intense one. It was certainly the most interesting election that's happened since I've been a voting age. Uh, it claimed the political lives of no less than four party leaders uh, within a space of about three or four months for different reasons. And we're now left with a result because New Zealand uh, exists in a system called MMP, Mixed Member Proportional, where we have... Um, Parties representing in a single house of government and they have to form a coalition uh, to govern. So they, they basically have to be the majority, just a simple majority. There's 120 seats. Any way that someone can make up 61 seats or more, they get to govern. So uh, gen- I, in fact, I don't think since we've had MMP, which is only something like 25 years, no party has ever had an outright majority to govern alone. They've always had to form a coalition. And at the moment, uh, we're in a situation where the National Party, which is our centre-right party that's been in charge for three terms, uh, nine years already, they have won the—it's uh, not the majority, but like the most seats, more than anyone else. But plurality. they don't have enough to. Thank you. That's what I was yeah. looking for. They've won the plurality of votes, and um, but there's fifteen percent of the vote that it hasn't been counted yet because they are special votes. Uh, so they needed to go through a more rigorous process and that's people who voted internationally or some people who uh, signed up to vote and voted on the same day in the election booth, in the voting booth rather. So um, all the results I think are coming out today, negotiation talks have been happening and possibly by the time you hear this uh, this podcast episode, we, New Zealand will have a government but right now we haven't known um, who our who our government's going to be for the last two weeks since the election. So it's all down to this 72-year-old man called Winston Peters, who I personally find detestable. Um, But he's kind of this vaguely popularist, um, grumpy old man who always gets about 10% of the vote from old people and gets to decide who will be (laughs) prime minister. So that's where we're sitting right now.
0: Is there somebody who's, when when there isn't the government, is there somebody in charge kind of like the other... uh, you know, I only know my papal history from reading Dan Brown books I found in airports yep. or in discarded like hostelries. Mm-hmm. So is there like a Camerlengo who waits until the white smoke of, uh, of prime ministership goes up from the uh, New Zealand's Vatican, I believe is the term.
1: Do you know, the beautiful thing is I was paying such close attention because a lot of the TV show was centered around it. And as soon as the show ended, I haven't looked at any news whatsoever. So I do not know who's running the country. But I think there's like a caretaker government. We've got the preliminary results. So there's kind of the formation of seats there and there are some mps who are in there right now but once the new results come in they may get kicked out after just two weeks um, which will be interesting but right now i think it's just whatever the government formation was before the election is just sort of a caretaker position where no major policy passes and until they figure it out they just look after things but it's amazing how little it's affected anything the fact that we don't really have a government right now in parliament
0: yeah well the new zealand deep state sounds just as deeply entrenched as ours so you've probably you know your your equivalent of the nsa and and uh you know continuity of government yeah they're they're, they're, they're pulling all the strings already
1: you got it the gcsb we call them the gcsb (laughs) here they're actually real tied up with america we're part of the um what's called the five eyes intelligence network with uh the uk australia america and shit canada i think Sure, why not? Anywho, we're not here to talk about New Zealand politics because it really doesn't uh, add up to much except for the 4 million people who live here. Maybe five now. Um, But there's been uh, incredible tragedy on your shores recently, Jeb, with this Las Vegas thing, which is just like unfathomable. 58 people killed, gunman killed himself, over 500 people injured. Just the fact that he managed to do it is crazy there's just so many things that needed to kind of be enabled or so many barriers that needed to not be there for this to be able to happen Uh, how many guns did he have in there like 19 semi-automatic weapons so far that we found out about
0: yeah i'm not sure what the the official count was i just uh, i remember seeing multiple stories saying like roughly uh like two dozen or 20 or something and i don't know if that's above or or below what the actual total was but it was enough that if because when you when you convert it, you know, because it's not really converted, because he's using that uh, the shoulder bump thing. Uh, yeah. But when you do that, it heats up the barrel, and you know, it superheats your gun. You can't just like keep exchanging magazines and keep going. So, in theory, if you know he he heated one up too much, he could just grab another and keep and going. And that's
1: one of the things that's freaked me out about this so much is the uh, level of calculation that appears to have gone into it, because he set cameras up in the hallway of the hotel so that he would know when police and SWAT were entering and I think he actually shot a uh, security guard from the hotel using those cameras who was approaching through the door like that the, the level of planning that he went through to pull this off is nuts but um Jeb talk about the kind of wider context of why and correct me if I'm wrong but I think you'll agree with this why nothing will change off the back of this
0: well a, a little thing might and you've seen uh, you you might have seen or people listening might have seen that uh, the NRA seems to be supporting uh, criminalizing those uh, and I don't know why the term I've I've only read it like 30 times today is, is failing me but the the shoulder bump thing yeah, that Yeah, he, bump he, stock. He, yeah, the bump stock that basically just uses the recoil of the gun to kind of like keep triggering the trigger to in in this automatic uh, fashion the NRA is, has come out sort of tentatively supporting criminalizing that And obviously, like the Democratic Party has come out, Democratic leaders have come out with, uh, I think now it's uh, several dozen uh, Democratic leaders are co-signed onto a bill uh, to outlaw them. And it's great because it's cosmetic. It won't, you know, it won't change the underlying problem, which is that you're getting rid of something that modifies a weapon of death to take it from a rapid conveyor of death, death to a super rapid conveyor of death. And the underlying mechanism, the gun, remains unchanged. Uh, so it'll it's a good cosmetic look for the NRA because they can say, "Look, we're you know we're not automatically opposed to any kind of re- regulation. Look, we compromised here, and remain and the essence the like states, the underlying issue will be unchanged."
1: How has the states become uh, entrenched in such a culture where, like when Sandy Hook happened, a bunch of school children were gunned down and killed, and now we've got. Uh, the largest mass shooting in America's history. And it seems like listening to people who are pretty au fait with the American political system and political history, just no one has any hope whatsoever that this, even this will change anything. How, did, how is it so entrenched, this inertia behind changing anything to do with guns? Uh,
0: the easy answer is the nra they they you know they take their members dues and then they use those to contribute to uh principally to to senators and you know republican senators and representatives to make it very costly for them not to support the nra um and it's to the point where i think it's something like almost 90 percent of americans favor some kind of common sense gun control but you know, representatives don't have to be held accountable to them. It's far, it, 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 it's far more dangerous for them to not get the funding or to get an, uh, an F rating from the NRA, NRA and see a primary opponent get an A rating and all that money. And, and I, I think it's Igor Volsky of, uh, I believe Think Progress does this. Every time there's a mass shooting, he goes through opensecrets.org and he finds out how he he finds a representative who's tweeting about how they have thoughts and prayers. And then he sees how much they have taken from uh the NRA so like Nikki Haley not Nikki Haley but uh Joni Ernst was of course uh riven with uh with anguish and thoughts and prayers and she's taken like 3.6 million dollars um
1: there is there is something I think ultimately good in a practical sense about the backlash that thoughts and prayers are starting to get now and I almost think that it's um Uh, this was sort of kicked off by comedians a little while ago like i think from memory it was anthony jeselnik had uh he had a whole special called thoughts and prayers and about the just absolute futility of that saying and it used to be wheeled out kind of without any recourse by people in power and representatives and politicians and whatnot and now it feels like um there's finally this there's no longer an appetite for platitudes like that. There is a real hunger for, for some change. But it just seems like the lack of faith in the political process to affect any change, even when it's really wanted by even a majority of the people, is so low now because the gears of government just seem so gunked up with money in America that it seems impossible, even when it's like a universal want of the people
0: right yeah well i mean and you see that replicated with health care and other issues and part of that is just the the anti change the the sclerotic by design nature of the american congress and the senate the senate is dominated by uh, uh states that are very red and mostly empty because we've we, we created a, a branch of government that represents land and not people and so you have a minority of the states um, that essentially have a, a functional sliver of the total population that can maintain a controlling interest in the senate and obstruct any kind of common sense gun control regulation because they will have enough to to uh, prevent getting uh past a filibuster proof uh uh, majority so in that and unfortunately those cases those states tend to be rural and with higher degrees of gun ownership because in, in you know a lot of cases those are people who are living out on the border of wilderness and who need guns to actually you know function day to day if they need to kill a wolf or something you know Uh, not not in the
1: sarah palin from the helicopter like yeah about from um, betsy devos yeah
0: yeah. i mean they the bears aren't going into their schoolrooms, but uh yeah they might be near them and then you know in those cases you also have very ethnically homogeneous populations that are not used to kind of like the multicultural coasts and it's a lot easier to scare them with the uh the nightmare of an armed and and attacking other because they don't you know they don't see people who are who don't look like them day to day and so it's easy for them to be galvanized by the thought of like the urban hordes coming and taking away their possessions so you have well, those representatives who who maintain that kind of rump uh representation of of real estate in the senate who can who can block everything cuz they have no incentive electorally to do anything else
1: It's interesting you bring up the race thing because uh I watched I was out of town and I watched on Netflix it's really fantastic uh PBS documentary about the Black Panther movement, which I think yeah. was it was called like Black Panther Vanguard of a movement or something like that. It's really fantastic. It takes you through in sort of just over two hours kind of the whole arc of the uh, um explosive rise and then fall away in the in the early eighties. But one of the things that struck me is that it seems like the only thing that ever pushes um some significant changes to the gun laws in America is usually out of California and it's when people get scared of black people having guns. Yep. <laughs> you know, when when people get scared of white people having guns, the law never changes. But when, when black people have guns, that's when you know, the American public stands up and goes, oh shit, we really need to do something about this. Um, but the, the question that I wanted to ask you, Jeb, was do you think that the way forward in terms of a roadmap, if there was legislatively to change something, is through a state like California who are huge and influential but very liberal and them changing the law around the Second Amendment within their state to limit the sales of certain things and then that would in effect normalize those changes which they could then export to the rest of the country
0: well your, your earlier comment i think isn't a bad idea either and it's I, i've seen it a couple of times on facebook i mean if you wanted to really uh if you really wanted to to spur the discussion on both sides about common sense gun control you know one of these useless tech assholes who thinks that his thoughts and prayers and uh what if we could disrupt society kind of rhetoric well uh, you know, if if one of them just wanted to sink about thirty million dollars into buying a r fifteens for members of Black Lives Matter, yeah, we might see a little bit more galvanic <laughs> response. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the you see this kind of push pull happen depending on who's in the White House uh, or who controls Congress. But, um, you know, in the same way that like the Republican Party was very adamant about the rights of states to experiment and to use uh, federalism to, let's say, uh, criminalize transgender people's use of bathrooms um and then of course when they're they're you know when they're in power then it's fine if it's a top-down uh, suggestion or order mm-hmm. from the federal government federalism isn't as important and then of course uh then sort of like as you see with the travel ban suddenly democrats who are more like let's have a national policy are challenging things on a state-by-state basis you could start to see that uh but in, in terms of like how quickly or how rapidly you're going to see change. That's three, five, seven years down the road. If you're going the litigious route and you would have to keep repeating the experiment of having towns uh, criminalizing certain kinds of possession and then seeing what Mm. suits are brought. And a lot of them are going to be infelicitous to the cause. I mean, there's a reason why people, why, why litigants who try to change things for the, uh, through the court look for that ideal, that ideal representative and like the kind of classic example in, uh, in challenging anti-misogyny statutes was loving versus virginia cuz how could you do worse than that name like you know how 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 could you do better than that name I, i'm i'm yeah i should say yeah. uh
1: so th- what do you think the likelihood is that these test cases might come up and that um either states or uh, cities and towns will kind of stand up and start to take a little bit of action or do you think that the NRA's pervasive hand will just kind of quash any resistance to the existing um, gun laws
0: well their budget is huge but it's not like it's not a world beater i mean they would need to start getting a lot more donations and i think you could in theory stretch them very very thin and then the other way to apply pressure and i think it's chris murphy of connecticut suggested this is repealing the bush era law that prevents uh, uh gun manufacturers for uh from being sued in the same way that we would sue any other producer of any good in the United States if that good led to, uh, you know, a substantial number of deaths. We've effectively immunized gun manufacturers from the consequences of what they produce. And, uh, yeah, so that's
1: you, super wacky.
0: Yeah, and and, and like, I mean, it's, it's sort of like if you remember if you've watched law and order and you remember those episodes where like Jack McCoy would sue the gun company because they, they produced a semi-automatic gun that with like one dollars piece could go from shooting, you know, from, from firing 12 bullets a minute to 80. Uh, and you've, and you've wondered like what happened to that, uh, the Bush era happened
1: to that. <laughs> right. So this, what I mean, obviously this isn't a new debate, um, which is kind of, uh, disheartening. <laughs> To appreciate that it's got then that length of context around it, and nothing has changed, and does sort of just back up the feeling that nothing ever will change with this. It's just horrifying, though, man. It's it's crazy. The rest of the world, it's one of the many things. The rest of the world is looking at America at, at the moment and just being like, "The fuck, guys. This is this is fucked up. This is well outside the norm."
0: Well, and just sort of on top of that, like a part of it is, I think a lot of people are afraid of a phantom, right? It's and the phantom has been effective at terrorizing things long enough that it no longer really needs to do anything that's legitimately terrifying. Uh, If you think about the actual number of people who own guns, it has been steadily decreasing for the last five decades. Now, the number of guns in the United States has remained steady, or in fact, I think increased, but the actual people who possess them has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And part of that is just like, You know broad interest in owning guns like that's not as cool people don't really need it uh but the people who are into it they've managed to you know the nra has managed to to effectively kind of like weaponize uh gun grabbing paranoia and so these people who might have just sort of begun as like well you know i've got my i've got a pistol i've got a a a shotgun for uh for game and i've got a rifle for deer and then i've got a machine gun because like hey that's just fucking cool and it is i mean like shooting machine gun is cool um but <laughs> it is i mean like I, I,
1: dude i'm I a w- child of the 80s i was raised on 90s action films i'm not going to disagree with you but i'm not saying that it's a good thing that cultures put that in me but you know there is a, <laughs> an undeniable charm to machine gun fire but in the same way that there's an undeniable charm to uh a fighter jet it doesn't mean that i should be entitled to own one
0: right yeah and and like and there's no reason why the current system by which people like me go and fire machine guns can't be become the standard i drive over to orlando and i go to machine gun usa and i give them a hundred dollars and they give me a machine gun and i go fire at like computer renderings of of criminals that are mercifully all along the racial color spectrum uh you know and and then i get to take like the piece of paper away if i want to prove how good i was at like clustering my my shots so but like anyway the, the the number of people who own the guns is not enough in in a lot of states to tip an election if you actually were getting turnout kind of commensurate with with the number of people who are of voting age so as if democrats can actually effectively get out the vote they can neutralize the power of this and just one or two victories like that of somebody who is nakedly pro gun control winning in an area where he shouldn't be able to he or she shouldn't be able to win you're going to get that kind of virtuous cycle of representatives going like, wait, what am I afraid of? And you know what they have been afraid of is the phantom of like the NRA is going to come in and it's going to spend a lot of money and it's going to convince a lot of people. Well, how many people are there to convince?
1: Right. And I, did, I, I heard an interesting stat and I have to admit, I heard this off of a political podcast, so I can't vouch for its um, accuracy, but apparently 3% of the population own 50% of the guns in America. That sounds fine. <laughs> like it that is absolutely terrifying. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Jeb, let's let's round off that segment there, unless you want to add any um, thoughts and prayers at the end of that. But in, in all seriousness, though, it, anyone who was um, affected in any way, shape or form uh, from this incident in Las Vegas, I hope this doesn't come across as flippant at all. Um, I, I I feel for you immensely. It's just that this thing keeps happening and it is... One of the terrifying things from a human perspective as well is it gets harder and harder to allow the bandwidth of outrage and despair to respond effectively to each of these incidents in its own right. And it's, it's crazy that the amount of time an incident where one guy killed 58 people and injured over 500 will not exist in the news cycle for that long and mm-hmm. almost definitely won't affect policy change that's how conditioned to this thing and normalized these events have become which which i think is among the greatest tragedies of it all in addition to the massive loss of life it's just unbelievable no it's and, so and, no good and, and man's oh, shit's fucked up as a great man once said
0: <laughs> along the lines of what you're saying i mean I, I tried i thought i mean i i was watching in live you know in stunned disbelief and immediately kind of thought, well, you know, what do I feel about this? Can I, can I say anything helpful? And I I wrote out, you know, a couple rough paragraphs and then I was like, wait a minute. And I went back and Googled and I'd already said all of it, you know, multiple times. And the last time I'd said it was two years and three months prior. And I I, I read, I went back and I, I opened up a piece and I looked at it and I'd already said all of it. And and there is that, you know, it almost, you know, the pernicious thing about the repetitiveness of evil is that it diminishes um, the sense of like of goodwill for its victims and outrage against its actions that is felt by everybody because we're all, I think, somewhat cognizant of it being embarrassing when we keep saying the same things over and over. So even the the things that matter and the things that are effective and the things that are are, are empathetic and that you know victims or people who have been proximal to this kind of violence want to hear that they don't hear it as much as they should because a lot of people think oh you know do i really need we to- just said
1: that three months ago do we need to respond in the same way each time yeah yeah and and horrible. maybe is it
0: is it insipid for being repetitive and like and and you get to that point where you start to question the re you know the value of reiterating something that is true because it is no longer novel
1: Hmm. Think on that, podcast listeners. We're going to take a short break and come back with some uh, slightly lighter fear, i.e. the Russia investigation. It's still happening. Back after this.
0: The investigators working with special counsel Robert Mueller met this past summer with Christopher Steele. Uh, Steele, as you remember, is a former MI6 officer who put together that uh, what people call the dossier, really a, a series of memos detailing alleged Russian efforts to aid Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Uh, Steele was hired by a Washington firm, uh, paid first by an anti-Trump Republican, uh, and then by Democrats. The special counsel is now working to determine whether any of the series of contacts between Trump campaign associates and suspected Russian operatives broke U.S. law.
1: Welcome back to Politics, a show for nerds who like to laugh while the world burns. And believe it or not, the Russia (laughs) (laughs) investigate was that not to your liking, Jeff? No,
0: I liked it because I was like, I'm a nerd, I enjoy laughing. (laughs)
1: Do you enjoy laughing while we're in the middle of the apocalypse? Which I keep saying, but it does still feel true to me. Um, The Russia investigation is still happening in America, and uh, it's almost kind of cool, I think, that there's... No, sorry, let me rephrase that entirely. There is utility to the massive other events that have been happening, which have shielded the Russia investigation uh, that Bob Muller is conducting away from the headlines and the front pages as much? Because I think the best work is going to be done when he can and his team can just get on with shit. Um, mm-hmm. Would you concur with that analysis? Or do you think yeah, more think, light needs to be put on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I, for all the people who want to knee-jerk and go like, well, Vegas just takes, you know, our eye off of Donald Trump. Like, it also, yeah, it, it takes, it, it, it sucks the oxygen out of, Uh, the right-wing news cycle as well which is still really adamant on uh trying to uh, to paint leaks from these congressional investigations as well as the Mueller investigation as you know the real crimes that are going on or the Steele dossier (laughs) as the real crime and like you know for as much as like as as you know we're taking focus off trump it also kind of takes some momentum and inertia away from people who are trying to efface the issue
1: It does, and it allows the correct processes to happen, which is that these things aren't supposed to be conducted by the public. There's a reason why it's secret committees with high-ranking people with security clearances because they need to conduct certain work with the confidence that the information won't be shared um, so that they can you know talk to as many good sources as possible and you brought up the uh, the, the steel dossier which um, surprisingly still in play and way more in play than we thought before um, there was a report that came out which I think was from NBC uh, saying that the steel dossier which is this uh, X mi5 mi6 spy, it One of the really two, matter. yeah, he a UK yeah. spy, um, who probably MI six was working. Or, yeah, that, I think that's right. Yeah, MI five think is more military. Anyway, he went out, um, and he he works for a privatised uh, intelligence service, and he has been in Russia, um, assembled a large document with a lot of claims on it. Uh, the most salacious of which is that Donald Trump rented a hotel room where. Barack and Michelle Obama stayed in and had some prostitutes urinate on it and kind of off the back of that headline item, everything about the dossier has been discredited. However, all of these other quite explosive claims in the dossier have slowly been verified over time as being true and um, to the point where and correct me on this if I get it a bit wrong, jeb because i 'm kind of going off the fly here on on what i 've been reading recently but the intelligence services in America withheld the, their work on uh, verifying facts within the Steele dossier because it was there was going to be a public report come out and they didn't want to reveal which bits they had verified and how and which sources they would used. So they just kind of didn't talk about the Steele dossier as part of that public report and withheld it, which mm-hmm. sort of gives more credence to their faith in the information in it being at least somewhat true.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's that delicate kind of balance of, you know, if you don't disclose how you're verifying it, it it allows... uh it allows critics of the investigative process to say like, okay, well, this is still a red herring. They're trying, you know, they're using this and and nobody's backed it up. But the the, the converse of that is like, if you do back it up, then you're letting uh, people who might be under investigation know the methods that you're using, both in terms of like informants and then what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of documentary resources you're, you're using. So it's it, it's that weird kind of like we have to strike a, you know, that we have to strike this balance between uh disclosing that it's this has been valid and that the process is bearing out the information in it and and also like well we don't want to help the people who are targets to learn how to evade they're being targeted
1: the Um, claims that are predominantly in this dossier which are sort of the most uh bad if they turn out to be true is around collusion basically between the russian government and the trump campaign at the time and uh adam schiff who's the Um, ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee has been coming out and doing a lot of press on a really specific point which I think is actually kind of damaging to the overarching case. He keeps talking about how RT, um, formerly Russia Today, but I don't think they call themselves that anymore, which is the news agency from Russia, which is either a um, Vladimir Putin-run propaganda agency or semi-autonomous news agency that happens to be in Russia, depending on who you ask, Uh, that RT had a bunch of targeted Twitter ads uh, that were almost unanimously negative about Hillary Clinton and positive um, about Donald Trump, which just seems like such a myopic thing to focus on. And even if it's true... And one of his other points is that they seem to be targeting uh, locations and demographics which specifically could swing towards Donald Trump. So they had some sort of insider knowledge from American political operatives to be able to enact this incredibly effective campaign. Even if that's true, to me, that doesn't sound that damning. And I would kind of wonder why he is banging on about this small part of the report at the moment. They've been hearing from uh, the... the The Congress has been hearing from members from Twitter and Facebook about how much uh, money they accepted with these Russia ads and who from and trying to get to the bottom of who these people were and if they've got uh, government connections to to Russian agencies. But it just seems like such a a non-smoking gun piece of evidence that even if the maximum of it is true... It just goes to show how easily manipulated the American people are. But it just doesn't seem that damning to me. Do, do you think I'm reading that right, or am I kind of missing a wider point here?
0: Maybe, maybe a little from both. I mean, I don't know. Like for one thing, I just don't. I don't have a lot of faith in like the inerrant wisdom of Adam Schiff because he also, you know, at the same time that he likes to fulminate about the autocracy of Russia and their suppression of journalists and free speech, he was also like I think he co-signed or co-sponsored the bill that would criminalize. Uh, Boycott divestment and sanctions of Israel on college campuses, so like you know fuck off uh, but the uh, the I think it may be uh, you know that may be just sort of a short term leverage to put the fear of God into Twitter and Facebook into being more cooperative because I think anybody who has been looking at what happened on either over the course of the election I mean and you could tell in real t- in real time just how saturated Twitter had been with with Russian bots I mean it w- it was a lot more it felt like a lot of the time it was it it's even more in the aftermath when you see how many of them disappeared and and just how much Mm. the tenor of conversation changed when there weren't as many bots being put out there but you could tell at the time that there was gamesmanship going on with it and twitter and and facebook have lied really at every step of the way about their level of knowledge their complicity in it their willingness to take money uh to you know keep their stats up and to you know to to keep their their stock price up so it may just be like i'm going to put the fear of god into you because i, I know i have this detail where you were specifically helping a propaganda arm of the russian government the other part might be just to underline uh, again a connection to uh, michael flynn and i there was somebody else who had like a tentative uh link to russia today uh, but that would just be kind of like helping to close that circle because you had Michael Flynn, who was a, a commentator who went to that famous uh, RT banquet that was honoring Vladimir Putin. And he was sitting there at the table next to him. And I think Jill Stein yeah. was also in attendance. So you've got That's that. Right. You've got, you've got <laughs> RT being the propaganda wing of the, the, the Russian government. You've got RT, Putin and and Michael Flynn right there. And then you have RT, Doing targeted advertising when Michael Flynn already had this cozy relationship with Russian propaganda, and he already had this relationship with the Trump campaign before the election. Uh, it might be another avenue, and he might be being clever in that respect. Or, like you said, I mean, it might just be stupid.
1: <laughs> I just want to check. Is the other person you're thinking of Rex Tillerson with his connections through Exxon to Vladimir Putin and Russian oil?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't remember if he had any explicit RT. Uh, relationship though I think there was somebody else who had like the the strict RT thing but I mean it's God there's so many characters at this point
1: (laughs) yeah there really is um it's uh, getting back to what you were saying about the uh US government's investigation of Facebook and Twitter I kind of get the sense when I hear the, the American politicians talk on the news that there's like they have a very old world understanding of how these ad platforms work And you hear them talking about it like they were accepting money from Russia and Russian operatives and that. And it seems to fail to recognize that the way those systems work is completely automatic. You put in a credit card number, you punch in some stuff, it'll go through one layer of automated... Um, you know uh, checks to see if probably just if there's anything lewd if there's any nipples in there and if they can't detect a nipple with their AI technology then they'll they'll let it through whereas the way that they talk about it is kind of making Facebook and Twitter out to be these ad platforms where they're dealing person to person and they know everyone who's buying ads on there and it just seems to be a reflection of kind of a greater problem whereby I actually I don't think America's got any too much moral high ground on this kind of thing with the amount of shit that you guys fuck around with in other people's elections and political systems installing people who are favorable to u.s um policy and taking down those who threaten it i kind of see this as a thing where russia got more advanced at a tactic than the states Something that the states would have done if they could have. It probably would have been slightly more nuanced, but it feels like the kind of thing which wouldn't be outside the norm of what America has engaged in in the international political sphere before. But they're real butthurt because Russia got good at it before America (laughs) did. And now they're lashing out, making it this... Immoral action, where I just don't see America having the the high ground on it. Now, once again, I want to highlight: this is one small part of the Russia investigation, and this is why I don't understand people like Adam Schiff putting such a highlighter over it. Because to, to, maybe it's just me, but I really feel unmoved by even if the maximum claim and this small part of it was true. Um, mm-hmm. But there's other there's other things which are, I think so much more important and damning and again maybe it's a good thing that he's you know people like adam schiff are coming out talking to the news about these stupid myopic components of it and it allows the actual investigation that robert muller is is doing to continue in the background properly to look at the bigger issues if there were interpersonal connections between these people like michael flynn um and and uh vladimir putin himself mm. i um Heard on the news yesterday, whose uh, cell phone was it that was, seems General to have Kelly. been bugged and they're not sure who? General Kelly, Chief of Staff, his yeah. cell phone had been operating weirdly for months and he <laughs> took it to the White House IT department and they were like, oh, yeah, someone's compromised your device, which is insane because then, of course, not only do you potentially have access to all of the data that is within said device um, and that's going in and out, But there's a bunch of sensors which, if you are good enough, you can activate on the fly. There's two cameras on my cell phones these days. There's a microphone that you can turn on and off. There's all these tools that you can enact to capture data. And it sounds like they've actually, the White House has responded um, pretty swiftly to this by bringing in a policy where soon, uh, in the West Wing, you won't be allowed to have any uh operational devices that can transmit no cell phones no smartwatches. you've got to like leave them in these containment units
0: okay well first of all when you say there's a lot of private data that could go in out uh, on his phone i'm i assume you were talking about general kelly's nudes and if you weren't um we are now <laughs> uh second of all like i think your average like your average just signed up last month shithead like you know geek antifa uh you know guy on a college campus has better opsec about his cell phone than these guys and like and please don't take that as like a negative thing. like i don't like antifa or something i like them very much uh but like just the biggest dumbass in that organization like the guy who should not be in it i guarantee you knows better about his phone like if you're going to go to a protest turn it off pop the fucking um sim card out of it so it can't be remotely get the battery activated. out there yeah. yeah get everything out um, so that's hysterical. And just to go back to one other point that you raised, and I don't want to like belabor it. The only real clever dick thing I could see Adam Schiff doing right now is taking these kind of scare information, you know, scare uh, data about Facebook to kind of start acclimating the public to the idea that tech companies now have to be re- regulated like any other industry. Because there has been this this kind of like Pollyanna vision of uh democrats for the last you know almost 20 years that because silicon valley was in uh you know a very blue part of a very blue state that it would be inculcated with these values of sort of you know interventionist government trying to prosper you know to to help everyone prosper and they've been very slow to wake to the idea that these people are in many cases like you know on the lighter side they're just your average you know libertarian sociopath and on your your peter Thiel, mencius mold bug side they're out and out fucking fascists and and so like saying that they were irresponsible they didn't care all they wanted was money it didn't matter to them if they destroyed democracy because they were going to control whatever you know didn't matter what rubble was left over they were going to have enough money to control it maybe that's his gambit but again like it, I, I don't know. I mean, anybody who's like that rah-rah behind BDS and obviously that hypocritical and stupid about the history of American intervention in, in other countries, I, like, I'm not going to push all my chips in on this guy is trying to normalize criticizing Silicon Valley and and, and normalize regulation of Silicon Valley.
1: So guys, uh, due to the magic of editing, you may not have been able to detect it, but uh, I got a phone call in the middle of that on the same device that I'm talking to Jeb on. So Jeb, that lasted for about eight minutes. I can't remember what the fuck you were talking about, but I'm sure it was highly insightful. And I'm sorry for the disrespect that this uh, sounds like it is once it's all truncated and edited down. I'm quitting for another 14 weeks. I don't care. God damn it. Don't do it, man. In fact, just quit for like 30 seconds and we'll be back after a short break to talk about healthcare, everyone's favorite topic, and the proposed new uh tax reform. We'll be back after this on politics. <laughs> With protests mounting tonight, the Republican health care bill appears doomed to fail. Late word tonight, Maine Senator Susan Collins says she is a no, making her the third senator to come out against the bill. The Republicans tonight do not have the votes. Welcome back to politics. Why listen to authoritative voices in this day and age? That's the real question. <laughs> do I sound more TV than I did before Jeb, do you reckon? You think I've got some chops now after hosting my own show?
0: I'll tell you, you know that that comeback from uh, from break was seamless, and that definitely felt like, you know, the not quite like Ted Koppel, you know, uh, but it, <laughs> you did ha- it didn't. It wasn't the sonorous sort of like today, and uh, you know, but you do kind of have that that uh, what's the word where they just son- they kind of bleed from vowel to vowel. Welcome back to politics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there probably is a weird word for that. Hey, well, uh, target for the listeners is to find the word that defines that kind of cadence in speaking. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Tim underscore Bat or at Mabute. Um, hey, healthcare didn't happen again. <laughs> I love that they keep talking about it as Obamacare when it's now just your healthcare system, right? Like it's it's been in as part of the law for a few years now. People tend to like it and the, the Republicans keep trying to take it away from everyone.
0: Yeah, no, and, and the the recent development, I mean, so they, they had a, a, a period where they could basically, they could alter uh, the Affordable Care Act via reconciliation and they they've fallen out of that period and so they fell back on what we sort of suspected they were going to do all along, which is just sabotage the Affordable Care Act. To make it so unpopular that people want to get rid of it but i I mean it, it, it this is a gamble with how much the american electorate is paying attention um there there's been substantial reporting in basically every major outlet on the fact that they uh republicans have passed up advertising the enrollment um section and then uh, the enrollment period yeah. for the affordable care act and then they have flirted with uh basically canceling all subsidies for new enrollees. And that's really critical for insurance companies that are providers within the Affordable Care Act. Because when you have people who have not had insurance for a long time, and they're part of, let's say, the Medicaid expansion, or they can get on a plan with their pre-existing condition, the first thing they're going to do is rack up a lot of charges. So insurance companies, by accepting these people onto the rolls, they have immediately a huge expenditure. And that's been offset through the ACA with subsidies for new enrollees and with the Trump administration going, well, maybe we're just not going to fund that. And they've kind of they've they've made this statement or they, they've hinted at this multiple times. And this idea is not dead. Uh, that discourages uh, insurance companies from entering more marketplaces which is why you have these sort of monopoly coverages within especially a lot of Midwestern and Southern states where one county will just only be provided by Aetna or Blue Cross or United Health or something. Um, but also what it does is in anticipation of having those expenditures and not wanting their stock prices to tank, they the insurance companies have said, hey, we're going to have to just jack up our rates by double digits to offset this. They don't have to. Uh, they're choosing to do that. But when they do that, then that, causes another round of like 72 hours of reporting in local and national news going, well, the affordable care act rates are going up and there's really no way to get most people watching that to go, well, what would that be? What would the, the rate increase have been without the affordable care act? Cause they're going to go up anyway. They always go up. Um, but yeah, those are the two the two sort of fronts right now. Like, let's go ahead and make sure nobody enrolls for it. And then let's discourage insurance companies from entering the marketplace. And then also make them think that that we are not going to support them. So people have fewer options. Fewer people are on it. So they're not spreading the risk pool and keeping costs down because they're just not enrolling. And then they have fewer options in the area that they live in. And then those options are more expensive because insurance companies are preemptively raising the rates in expectation that the uh, Trump administration is is just going to screw them.
1: So it looks like the Trump administration aren't going to be able to enact the thing that the Republicans have been campaigning on, which is repeal and replace Obamacare for like the last, well, since the ACA got enacted. So Mm -hmm. it feels like they're moving on now to try and get tax reform because that is something that they've talked about wanting to do particularly trump um in, in a big way and at least that can be some sort of legislative achievement for the republicans who just as a reminder have the white house uh, congress and the senate yeah
0: yeah no so the, the what i the,
1: the tax reform proposal doesn't look good right
0: No, no. And in fact, like as you know, like every other proposal they've had, like the longer people get to look at it, the less they like it, because, uh, you know, most conservative policies are things that when you you when you pull people on them in politically neutral terms, they hate, Uh, you know, the the, the fact that they couldn't get the ACA repeal done had everything to to do with the fact that like running against the ACA is easy, but Uh, all the solutions they had to replace it were things that nobody wanted because they caused them to lose money or die and um the (laughs) the same thing's going to happen with with tax reform if you look at it now like the top one tenth of one percent gets about 50 percent of the tax cut benefits um the remaining one percent get like i think 30.5 percent and then now um uh, households with a combined income of, I think, a hundred thousand or maybe one hundred and twenty and and up between like, uh, between one hundred k and three hundred k will probably have a net tax increase. So that's upper middle class. That's not you know middle middle or lower middle or working class. But there you're gonna that that is also basically uh, where a lot of reliable Republican voters sit. So they're trying to pass a tax cut package that is going to benefit one percent or one tenth of one percent and then they they may be putting a tax hike on a lot of um you know a lot of like upper middle class white earners uh, but
1: jeb you're forgetting that you could do your taxes on the back of a postcard who cares how much it is
0: right yeah no i love that like you it, know it's i mean like it, you know it fucks you uh but it's simple like you know. yeah yeah
1: <laughs> Uh, it's I, not yeah. the big contortionist uh iron maiden contraption we had before now we're just gonna smack you in the face with something
0: yeah like look we're burying your son very early he wasn't yet 10 but on the plus side you can do it at Dairy Queen like
1: that's really <laughs> the logic to me so What are the chances of this tax proposal, which has, from most independent sources I've seen, um, line up with exactly what you've said, it benefits the rich at the expense of the poor, what is the likelihood that that's going to be passed? Does that have a way greater appeal for Republicans than, than repealing Obamacare? It has a way bigger repeat. I mean, so one of
0: the things like, I don't know if you saw this about the Cassidy Graham bill, which was the last uh, kind of stab at repealing Obamacare. Uh, you, you basically mm. had this concession that was made because, you know, at this point, all the Republicans keep saying the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet where they said, look, you know, the only reason why we're trying to do this is because, you know, the donors are not going to give us any more money unless we get this accomplished. And the same kind of process is going to be at work at tax reform. The donors want us to pass anything. And, you know, the actual voters, when they get a look at it, aren't going to want them to, to, to pass almost any of this. I think if, if anything gets through, I, I, this just feels like another thing where they're, they're, they're going to go balls to the wall trying to get it done. But they can't agree on what to do. And none of the things that they want to do have an hold an appeal for most people. So if something does mm. get through, I think it's more likely to be like, let's close some loopholes. And then in exchange, we're going to shave you know, a couple uh percentage points off of like high earners or the corporate tax rate. Uh you know, all of these things that are are canards in themselves, like, oh, you know, America has the highest corporate tax rate in the world, it's forty percent, but the effective rate that almost every corporation pays is like fifteen. Mm. <laughs> uh which is like not
1: a high rate at all. Um, no no, not comparatively whatsoever. I think in New Zealand I should probably know this is like twenty percent. Yeah. And and like Something in like that, New Zealand it's which probably is very competitive
0: it's probably 20% and what you pay is 20% and there's not a fucking negotiation about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, But kind of a terrifying prospect. Uh, But your tax code's so fucking wacky at the moment that it it almost feels like change is well overdue. It just feels like it's probably going in the wrong direction with this proposal.
0: Right, yeah. And, And so like that postcard thing is the ultimate bait and switch because even if you, you know, you're somebody who wants to pay all of the taxes that he owes and get legally all the exemptions and credits that you deserve to get and you know even if you're somebody who wants to contribute and give back it really can be an impenetrable morass as soon as you do anything more complex than you know work at a salaried position and you know own your house outright like anything after that it just becomes like you know it's a hassle and so what they're selling is simplicity but the simplicity itself of that postcard is a trojan horse for getting rid of uh, you know, a graduated tax rate and progressive
1: taxation. Mm. But well, yeah. So if they can't, if they manage to fuck up healthcare and then they can't get the tax reform passed either, does anyone care? It feels like everyone should care about that they've got all three branches of government at their disposal they've managed to get a new supreme court justice in there as well and they still can't do anything like shouldn't how shit are the democrats right now that they don't seem to be able to capitalize on this stuff they should be a lot more popular than they seem to be from the outside looking in right now
0: man i don't where to start right like you uh, you know all these people who need to relitigate the 2016 primary you have you have mayors you know you have an openly socialist black mayor winning in jackson mississippi you have um you have uh, a a sanders supported mayor winning in birmingham alabama and defeating an incumbent and of course the first thing that the you know the the mainstream democratic commentary it does is say well they didn't win because of you know people on the ground they won because those candidates supported Hillary Clinton in the general election no they fucking didn't like what the fuck does that have to do with anything it's 2017 like if I have to get in a DeLorean to figure out how your fucking point is relevant you're not helping right you know (laughs) and uh, you know they're 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 being given a blueprint for how you win like start you know start locally and, and again, yeah. like like I was saying earlier, use federalism to, you know, to fuck up the Republican agenda and also to try these experiments on a local level that can generate good press and good outcomes and engender goodwill in communities, you know, build from the ground up that way and then have a unified message of something like uh, the Corbynite message of the many, you know, uh, for the many, you know, uh, not the few, but they can't even do something that simple. They're all you know, everybody wants to win on basically preserving the status quo while thin slicing certain margins. Okay, well, we're not going to increase taxes, but we'll give a few people a tax credit at the end of the year, and that's how we're going to reform the tax code. Well, that's partly why the tax code is the impenetrable mass that it is, because nobody actually wanted to go, hey, simply what we should do is if you, you know, if you have a kid, you get X amount off per year, and your tax rate is otherwise X.
1: (laughs) But, you know... Sorry. Let me let me ask you this, because in terms of the. Uh, the more macro situation that you were speaking to about the Democrats seemingly if I'm understanding what you're saying right kind of being trapped in their own um, old school mentalities of how they've always operated like how much importance do you give to that and I think I've asked you this before but how much credence do you put on all of the chatter that happened when Nancy Pelosi regained her position as Speaker and it sort of spoke to this wider issue that the Democrats aren't changing with the times fast enough and therefore you know the public's going to get out in front of them. Do you think that that's having an effect at the moment?
0: Well, I mean, there is so many. There, there are a couple of disingenuous arguments that always get raised. Like one is that uh, you know Nancy Pelosi is is absolutely wedded to kind of like Clintonism. Uh, she's going to go with what works. She may she may prefer Clintonism. In fact, I wholeheartedly believe that she's basically a neoliberal at heart. But if you know if if the elements in her party can force her to the left, she'll move left. Uh, this, there's this sort of fatalism about her that sinks in because leftists kind of think like if we can just get rid of her, things will be better. Uh, and, and they also marshal kind of, uh, the, the argument, well, uh, Republicans will always run against Nancy Pelosi. And you saw that in the special election with, uh, John Ossoff in Georgia, you know, help stop Nancy Pelosi from becoming, uh, speaker of the house again, um, but like, you know, the Republicans will find anybody. It doesn't matter who the leader is. All it's going to take is about six months for there, there to be the same degree of, you know, like hateful literature about them. So Pelosi isn't the problem. It's that the pressure on people like Pelosi hasn't been there until recently. And once you, you know, as, as there are more local wins uh, happening and the Democratic Party is conspicuously staying out, there's going to be pressure to say like, hey you know you guys need to start dedicating more resources to
1: this um
0: the the war
1: there will be that's an interesting take so sorry just before you go on with that so you with in terms of nancy pelosi's vulnerability you don't see that as being anything inherent to her it's just she's got a big bullseye painted on her head um which will apply to anyone who's in that seat
0: yeah i mean like because her virtue is she's really good at raising money and she's not she's a good parliamentarian like she she's good at parliamentary procedure and fucking things up for republicans and getting things accomplished and she's very good at raising money from the donors now the donors are mainly you know big money people who are who are wedded to you know kind of clintonistic clintonista uh, vision of democratic politics uh But if they have no choice, if they have nowhere else to go, that you can you can say like, hey, listen, you're going to be a Republican or you're going to start backing these these kind of grassroots groups. That's where your money's going. And we have to change with the times. Whoever is in charge is going to be faced with those pressures and whoever is in charge is going to have to make those decisions. And those decisions will get easier for them as there is more bottom up pressure. Uh, And you're going to have to exert that on anybody, even if, you know, you could. Maybe you know you you get Keith Ellison as the the minority leader, but I doubt it. <laughs> like it would be nice if if that were the case, but I
1: doubt it. Well, yeah, yeah he's. I mean, he tried and failed, right? Yeah, and and instead we got. Well, Tom, what was the position he was going for? Uh, he was that going he lost for that to was it party Whip or something? Uh,
0: Democratic Party chairman, and so he he lost That's that right. to Tom Perez, who was sold as being really good at raising money from the donor class and the democratic party is i think behind its its annual benchmarks in that too so there was a very cynical gesture there uh you know like democrats saying like oh we don't hate keith ellison at all it's just that this guy is going to be much better at at schmoozing the money people and instead he's not doing that nearly as effectively as he could
1: man alive i know bernie said this a lot but you motherfuckers got to get money out of politics yeah that is at the root of everything um jeb that is all the time we've got for this week because i've got to rush off and record another thing for some mates but it has been so damn good to talk to you my friend uh even though we've been picking apart what is going completely wrong with your country right now and a little bit mine too yeah, no, it was good. To, it was good to hear from you again, and and like I, I there
0: was a lot of Kiwi related content that I wanted to start to to interject into the podcast. I, I, I really, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna plan on it. I was gonna really work on some of these ideas during our downtime, but I needed, I needed sixteen weeks uh, to finalize them.
1: Uh, well, you can so. take it. We'll do it in the next episode. Then right. we'll have some fun Kiwi related content for you, and I'll update you on uh, exactly what the formation of our inconsequential government is at that point in time yeah but until then uh follow us on twitter especially jeb and follow jeb on facebook at jeb lund's word salad and did you want to shout out any other channels that people can find you on jeb
0: well there is the the politics there is a politics facebook page which you know sadly has has gone fallow but uh you know we can start we can post some smutty uh photos to that get it hot get it moving again
1: i would love Uh to post smutty photos to that let's do that (laughs) all right Good to talk to you, Jeb. Till next time. Yeah, likewise.
0: You address the, the main headline of this story that you called the president a moron, and if not, where do you think these reports I'm these just, are i am be? I'm not for?
1: going to deal with petty stuff like that. I mean, this is, this is what I don't understand about Washington. Again, you know, I'm not from this place, but the places I come from, we don't deal with that kind of petty nonsense.